Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Prisoners in South Carolina are fighting for their lives. Leading up to and since the violent uprising at Lee Correctional last year, South Carolina Department of Corrections, the SCDC, has doubled down on its abuse and torture of prisoners by maintaining 24-hour lockdowns in 9x7 two-person cells and covering the outside of the cell windows with metal plates to prevent sunlight from entering. People have been living in these conditions since 2017, devoid of contact, movement, or access to any sort of programming or activities. Like all prison systems, SCDC does not invest in the rehabilitation of the people it incarcerates, and instead has spent nearly 20 million over the past year to update door locking systems, erect netting to block contraband tossed over fences, to install cell phone signal blocking technology, and to pay overtime to boost undermanned correctional officer shifts. All in the name of security to make sure another picture or video of the horrors inside does not make it out. Supporters ask that we take action either by calling Brian Sterling, head of SCDC, at 803 896 8555. That's 803 896 8555. Or by spreading the hashtag sunlight is a human right. Prisoners in California have been subjected to a new and disturbing round of gladiator fights. Conflicts between prisoners instigated by guards for their own amusement or to break down solidarity between different groups on the inside. This week, we'll begin sharing a powerful conversation with three women whose husbands have suffered from this shocking practice. In addition to supporting their loved ones, these women are also bravely organizing to stop the practice and reverse the punishments hypocritically meted out in the aftermath of these state-imposed battles. They're also joined in conversation by a solidarity organizer from Oakland's Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Together, they describe a complex and dangerous situation in which prisoners from different racial and territorial groups try to avoid accepting the provocations of the prison system, with the possible exception of the Bulldogs, a particularly violent prisoner set that acts with the protection of the system. Here they are. I am married to my husband who has been affected by these gladiator fights. He is incarcerated at one of the prisons that just had one of these fights at CTF Soledad, and he is still on lockdown as we speak. My husband is being affected by the gladiator fights that are being done by CDCR and was affected by the riot that they call on August 14th and is currently housed in the shoe for participating in a riot. My name is Eric. I'm with the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, Oakland. I have been organizing with folks around the issue of gladiator fights, which have occurred in a few prisons throughout California for the last almost a year. I'll speak on on my experience of having somebody incarcerated and going through this issue with the quote-unquote gladiator fights. 
it's very emotional. You worry about your loved one. Just <laughs> sorry, because I get emotional about it. Yeah, of course. You worry about them day in and day out. You don't know if it's going to be their turn to be called out on that yard or put in that fight. And without any communication, you don't know how they are, if they got hurt, if they didn't go out. It's very stressful. You're trying to live your life out here and, and keep things together out here for them and be supportive. But you don't really know what's going on in there. It's very draining. And so if it's hard as a loved one on the outside, can you imagine how it is to be on the inside and not knowing what's going to happen next, you know, if you're going to get hurt? So it's very hard. And then not just having a loved one that's incarcerated, my, my husband that's incarcerated. I also have a son who is a correctional officer. So as a mother... I worry for him also day in and day out because, yes, our loved ones are incarcerated and they can get hurt, but it's also the staff that's been put in danger. And I worry about my son all the time because the last thing I want to happen is for him to get hurt. You know, he needs to come home to his son, to my grandson. And so it's, it's, it's very trying, to say the least, very trying. I'm happy to speak on the, uh, the background a little bit, and maybe folks can, can pick up what I missed. Gladiator fights are a term that's been used in reference to CDCR practices since the 90s when uh, a case broke open of uh, COs basically setting off rival uh, individuals and people in it who organize with rival sets, basically like setting them up to fight one another, using it for their own entertainment, placing bets, and then sometimes murdering incarcerated people after those fights had concluded. This got a ton of media attention in the 90s, and CDCR was basically able to paint it as like guard culture, as, as, an, as an anomaly. But the fact of the matter is the practice persisted in several different ways, most recently with what CDCR has referred to as incremental releases, which uh, effectively is this, is doing the same thing, setting people off on each other one-on-one, two-on-two, um, and it's sometimes in like disproportionate groups, and then retaliating against people with group punishments like the, like the lockdowns, um, which they call modified programs. So, but their line about the incremental releases is that they're uh, trying to get people to get along and program together. We sort of know that that isn't the case, but we insist that these be referred to as gladiator fights uh, because that's what they are. We prefer to not accept the way that the corrections department reframes things with their language. I will also like to add in that when they do stage these gladiator fights because they are staged, one group is told to wear a certain color, so they have to come out in gray. And the other group, regardless if it's two, four, 80 of them, 200 of them, must come out in blue. So that way they can distinguish every group and who is involved. 
there's so many different types of situations that they're doing to aggravate the situation. It's it's ongoing. It's for the men that were placed in the shoe as it's just ongoing. There's so many issues that we can touch on. It's just not fair how they're being treated, how they're retaliating against them. Yeah, they're not getting their showers as is. They're not getting their yard time as it is. Um, because of this lockdown, they're not getting visits. They're not getting calls. They're being deprived of that family time that they need. I mean, you need that. You need that connection with your loved ones. I would also say since the announcement that CDC are put out there that they're going to stop the incremental releases, it hasn't stopped. Throughout all these months that they were allowing this to happen, what's going to happen now to these men that were affected by this? How are they going to be held responsible and accountable for having these IRs? These men have gotten severely hurt. They've gotten extra um, time, extra charges. These are men that are in level one and two yards. They're going home. They're trying to get home. And with these added times and charges, when they go to board, that does not look well. So what is CDCR going to do for that? So I kind of like wanted to address the article that they had put out. And that is because they also did another um, statement where they involved the gang unit from Fresno, where they are where they, they are completely blaming the Bulldogs. But I wanted to mention their contradiction on doing that because they're totally blaming the, the Bulldogs for this that, you know, is happening. But yet again, none of the Bulldogs have received any 115s or, you know, they have never been put into solitary confinement or in the hole or any of that. So I wanted to bring up that contradiction. Hi, uh, my name is Mary, and I am advocating for uh, all the inmates going through a rough patch right now with within CDCR due to the incremental releases and NDPF that um, has been implemented uh, by CDCR, and it's causing our loved ones to um, live in, in danger and havoc. I'm a concerned family member. Basically, there is no program right now for them. They've been being self-fed, so they don't get to walk to chow. They don't get... Well, they're supposed to get yard time, but they haven't been getting that, at least not as they should. Showers have been not have not been running as they supposed to be. They don't get to go to day room. They're locked down pretty much twenty four seven. Just for them to be on lockdown twenty four seven, they're denying them every right that they have. And they keep going to meetings and they're not giving them any like hope. Okay, well maybe a week, maybe a couple more weeks there's nothing that's going on to give them like any hope that this lockdown is going to be over last time it went for months and months on end right that is correct you know they do um cdc news to um excuse themselves with trying to find a solution and in the meantime you know because they cannot find a solution you know they keep them on what they call a modified program but i mean it's basically the same thing as a lockdown because they have the same exact restrictions 
And not only that, but they are supposed to keep them informed of what is going on, of what the plan is to end the modified program, and they failed to do this. Um, the inmates, you know, are supposed to uh, receive information on what the plan is to change from modified program to regular program so that they can, you know, begin with the regular classes or, you know, whatever it is they were doing before. And this has never happened. They, they failed to offer them an explanation. Along with the um, lockdown and the quote-unquote modified program, the COs are acting out of, they're stepping out of their boundaries. They're basically harassing our loved ones, other men that are incarcerated there, to where they get other charges as, help me out ladies here, when the men are getting patted down and they're being sent to the hole. Oh, because they were... uh supposedly making sexual harassment comments to the COs? Sexual harassment or attempted or, or threats of assault and battery. So they're saying all this and the men are getting sent to the hole for that. Right, that is correct. And it comes down to basically their word against the COs' word. It's just, it's not okay. Right, right. And um, also, you know, in regards to the statement that they released, um, back in September about halting these um, practices as, as far as the incre incremental releases because they have not yet, yet addressed the NDPS at all. But um, with them addressing the, the incremental releases, they stated that, you know, they were going to halt these practices for now because they admitted that they're not working. Um, at the same time, they released a, an article which stated that, you know, they – completely held the Bulldogs accountable for the havoc that they were causing during these incremental releases. But yet again, you know, they contradict themselves because the Bulldogs have not been held accountable for these practices that, according to them, quote unquote, is totally their fault because they're the ones that are failing to program with everybody else. And therefore, you know, you would figure that they would receive, you know, the, the IRs. Um, that they would that they would be the ones going to the hole, and this has not happened. What they have done is just separated them, and you know they just keep them in a different um, area, but without any consequences, without any accountability. So that to itself, you know, is a whole contradiction. And also to piggyback off of that too, um, I don't know if you guys have talked about the last IFC meeting that they had regarding the incremental releases, which they, again, contradicted themselves by saying that if Sacramento orders them to conduct these incremental releases again, they will do so. And that wasn't even a week after they put out that mm -hmm. statement of stopping the IRs. Now, I don't know if you were ever told, but I don't know if you know how it worked played out before the riot supposed riot, but it was the actual gladiator fight on the 14th of August. But Diaz actually visited CTF Soledad the day before that happened. And he spoke to some of the men that are incarcerated there. He knew 100% what was going to happen. And he chose to move forward and put loved ones at risk. Not just loved ones, but his staff. It happened prior, there was issues, but they said, this is what's gonna happen. 
they have no rehabilitation. The, keeping these men on lockdown and no program is not rehabilitation. Keeping them away from their family is not rehabilitation. Secretary of CDCR is, why am I forgetting his first name? It's Diaz. Ralph Diaz. <laughs> Ralph Diaz. But he visited CTF that day and the day before the riot, as he so calls it, and he was informed and he told the men, too bad. Too bad. It's going to continue forward. And if they don't like it, then they can be bumped up to a level three yard. These are men that are trying to program, go to the yard, do their schooling, their work, and go home. These are men are, that are so close to going to board and be able to have the opportunity to go home. So that was August 13th, and August 14th was the gladiator fight. About 200 men were involved in that um, gladiator fight, and he basically told them that the incremental releases will continue no matter what. No matter what. He just received, wasn't he, um, Mary... On September 4th, wasn't that the date that he became um, yeah, officially he was, secretary? He was official, yeah, he was made official secretary of the CDCR because he was just acting secretary for quite a bit. Governor Newsom was, was there with him um, that day as well. And, you know, that day he was told by inmates what was going to happen the next day, and they basically pushed you know, for him not to go through with that or for him to intervene, you know, um, because they, they, they told him about the risk that might, you know, that what was going to happen basically. And, um, he totally had complete disregard and he basically he has expressed this several times that everybody has to be held accountable for their own behaviors and they need to program like they would in the outside world because, you know, that's what they're being prepared for. Um, and, and, um, you know, yet again, you know, they choose, they're choosy picky about, you know, when to treat them like, you know, human beings, because they are being treated like, you know, nothing like human beings. They're being tra treated like animals. And, you know, the next day they, they did this incremental release. And for what we have heard from our loved ones, from everybody that was there at the yard, it was a very scary um, scene. The COs had already prepared um, ahead of time. They have all of the uh, bulldogs outside already waiting for everybody else to come out. And there was about 80 bulldogs out on the yard uh, in something that they call formation. So formation is basically when they're getting ready to attack. That's their culture, and that's what they are known for. So... The bulldogs were in formation, and they started releasing, you know, the other inmates uh, in small numbers. So they started releasing them three cells at a time. So mind you, each, each cell has two, two inmates, you know, sometimes one. So that's how they started sending them out on the yard. And um, when the inmates started going out, they realized that something was happening because there was more CO than expected. And they were heavily armed, and they also had their face covered. So they knew that they were ready for what was about to happen. And, and you know, as we said before, this was predictable, even by them, even by the COs, because obviously they were already prepared. 
Uh, and, you know, that's when everything, you know, just broke out. The, um, from what we have heard from our, lo- of lo- our loved ones, the Bulldogs continued information. The COs did nothing about it. And once the Bulldogs started barking, which is their, their sign that they give out when they're getting ready to attack or prey on their so-called enemy, that's what they do. They start barking, and this is exactly what they were doing. The COs failed to stop them and protect the inmates and this from happening. So they continued that, and then, you know, the, the bulldogs began attacking. And this, this is, you know, the information that we have from the inside from our loved ones that were present that day. And this all happened after they had extensive conversation with him. The day before. Right. And prior to that, on August 10th, they had a a training, an intense training. There was no visits or anything, but they had a training. The CEOs had a training. So August 10th was a training. August 13th, Ralph Diaz visited CTF. And August 14th, the gladiator fight took place of about 200 men. After this took place, they were placed on lockdown. 50 men were injured. Eight were sent to a local hospital to receive treatment. On August 26, I received word that my husband, along with 39 other men, all Southerners, no Bulldogs, were all taken to the hole and being charged with participation in a riot. About 50 other men, maybe, were not taken to the hole. They received 115s for participation in a riot, which are write-ups. My husband had committee on, I believe, September 6th, and they told him that, along with the 39 other men, that they had to wait because it was too many of them. So they were going to just postpone their committee for now. They took all their property. Till this day, we're over a month out. My husband, along with all those other men, have not received their properties. They have been misplaced or lost magically. Two weeks ago, my husband went to committee again. He was found guilty of participation in a riot with no proof. There's no video. He had no injuries. When these men come out of a so-called riot, which is a gladiator fight, they have to undress in front of medical staff and medical staff checks if they have any injuries that would say that they were involved in anything. They couldn't find him on the video. They can't find any evidence that he was involved in it. But the reason he was told, along with the other men that were found guilty, Mm -hmm. was that they were simply being found guilty because they were out there that day. Even though they were placed out there by prison officials, they do not have a say. It's not like they raised their hand and volunteered to say, hey, I want to go out there today. They are placed out there. It was his work hours and they, he shouldn't have been out on the yard that day, but he was told he had to go. There's just like so much we could go on and on about it because there's always something happening. You know, um, it's just frustrating because they're never held responsible. (laughs) They get away with so much, you know. (laughs) My husband is in the secure housing unit. 
He's been there since August 26. Um, he was found guilty of participation in a riot. Currently, the conditions in the housing unit, security housing unit, the SHU, aren't the best. Um, I believe the second floor toilets are not working. Um, and when the guys ask for help or complain, they are given buckets to use the restroom, which is completely unsanitary, and told that they have to deal with it just like the other 40 guys do. They're not allowed to have razors in there, so they're given clippers, rusty, and they have to use those. Everybody in the security housing unit has to use the same pair of clippers, which is completely unsanitary as well. Then they wonder why these guys end up with different diseases. And they're only allowed 55, I think, dollars for canteen. Um, I went to visit my husband on Sunday. My husband is a very thin individual, but uh, he looked a little extra thinner. Their food portions are not what they normally get. Their trays are opened when they're handed to them, which they're supposed to be sealed closed. Um, the trays are dirty. They haven't been washed properly. They can't even tell you when was the last time the security housing unit was cleaned because it's filthy. And, you know, he never complains. That was the first time he ever said, babe, I'm starving. I'm hungry. And I felt completely like hopeless. Like, I don't know how to help him because we're behind glass. I can't feed him like everybody else was having a regular visit. And don't forget the fact that they're also messing with their mail. My husband doesn't receive any mail. If he does, they give it to him like two weeks after. I pay tracking for it because of that issue. They don't get it. Um, every Sunday that I, I go every Sunday to see him. And every Sunday that I go, I tell him, hey, why aren't you writing? Babe, I've been writing. I wrote to you. I wrote to our son. I have the last time I've received anything from my husband was September 8th. I have not received anything from him, nothing at all. And uh, this last Sunday that I went, he hadn't received any mail. And I literally write to him at least maybe three to four times a week. And my son will write to him maybe twice. So he has, he has things coming to him, but they're constantly withheld. Even their legal mail was withheld and they should have got it before they went to their committee hearing, which is like kind of their mini trial. And they received it three days after, I believe. So it was kind of not helpful for their argument. They can use it for their 602 appeals, but not for their initial committee where they were going to be able to speak. And on top of all of that, they did not receive um, their property until <laughs> I don't even know when. Was if it was a month or so later, and when they did, some of them received other people's property, not their own, but it took them a very long time to um, get their property right. And, you know, I shouldn't even say right because they didn't even get that right. And I will add that my husband has been in there since August 26th, and the only property that he has received is his television. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. 
You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at kiteline at wfhb.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.